You are now listening to the September 7th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and It's Time to Pray the Bible. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. The program addresses sex with biblical grace and truth. Without the shock value, this program may contain mature language and subject matter. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time. Welcome to Walking Our Talk. This is Alan Heller. I have Polly Heller, my wife, with me. Hello. Good to see you again. I always like us getting in here because at least I can look at you. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Steve and Marla Wagner with Revive 40. Hey, Steve. Hello. And Marla. Hi there. And we realized the last session we hardly talked anything about the woman's side of this. And so this time we're going to give Marla and Polly a chance to have equal time. But here's something that I read the other day. The church is facing the greatest challenge in 2,000 years. Pastor Chuck Swindoll calls it the greatest cancer in the history of the church. Pervasive internet pornography must be dealt with in totality in a different way than any other problem or sin issue in the body of Christ. The church is confronted with the most devastating consequences in its history. My personal greatest question is, and this is Josh McDowell speaking, who will my grandchildren ever marry? The porn epidemic provides accurate data on size, consequences, problems, workable solutions to this devastating problem. If you want to get more information, facts, statistics that will blow your mind, go to joshmcdowell.com and you'll uh, see things that totally, like for instance, I had a uh, pastor friend in another part of the country who went to a Josh McDowell conference thinking he was going to hear about apologetics and then Josh, I guess, uh, recently he's spoken to millions of people on campuses and around the world in apologetics, but what he talked about was the plague of pornography, and uh, this pastor uh, was driving home, and his, and his wife said, oh my gosh, this is just an amazing, unbelievable problem, and here this guy, uh, for 29 years, had been hooked in pornography, and... Um, God convicted him, and he just said, I need to confess this to my wife. And he he told me when he was on the phone with me, I should have probably talked to you first before I confessed (laughs) it to her because uh, the explosion was quite dramatic. But she was willing to work with him, and we have met in a group for um, over a year, and his story is one where the people in his church are actually seeing a difference in who he is. They don't understand why or what caused it, but he knows that it's because he's got two or three of us each week mm-hmm. to be accountable to. And uh, he just said, if, if I didn't have this once a week meeting with you, I probably would be right back where I started. So 
it's an amazing thing that happens. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of brain chemistry and stuff that goes on here where, you know, after a while, an addiction is simply the flesh taking over to the point where I can't control it anymore. So mm -hmm. we talked in our trust podcast uh, weeks ago about the fact that you have lingering events from life-changing circumstances that happen in your life. And many people are traumatized early, and then they don't even understand why the, their brain is so hooked and the furrows in their brain. I mean, they've studied how you just can't control that anymore. And, and so when we say just stop it, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we have groups like Revive 40. And if you want to get information from them, go to revive40.com. And, and that's the number 40. And um, so we we were talking last time about uh, just what Refive 40 does and its uh, ministry to men, but also the women are affected. And so, Marla, tell us mm -hmm. a little bit about how you, maybe even uh, some of your story and how it, it worked in your life or maybe what you've seen in other women's lives as you've worked with them. And currently, you're working with about 30 women each week, right? Yeah, we have a... Uh, Here in Phoenix. I, you know, this is going all over the place. So I just want to <laughs> remember that this is in Phoenix, and I, we hope it's coming to a place near you soon. I do. I have this our desire. <laughs> um, we have the our women's groups that we call Beloved um, that we've started here this year. And just with the desire to come alongside other women because... What I experienced at the time, and that was, you know, 20 years ago, there was nobody to talk mm -hmm. to. It wasn't the the thing you were going to bring up in Tuesday morning Bible study, mm. you know, and um, feeling very alone. Uh, and that's that's the desire is to be able to walk alongside other women that um, they're not alone and they got other women beside them. So what is what does a group look like in your when you do your group, what describe it for somebody who's never been in one of those? Um, we start out with some worship and have a short time of teaching. We break up into small groups where in the beginning we tell our story and we find out that uh, we are not crazy ladies. <laughs> and, uh, and we have a curriculum that we're going through right now. We've been through a couple different ones and just share as we walk through how God is helping us to realize that we can't change our husbands. Um, the only people that we can, um, we can take care of is ourselves, and we need to start with healing us and learning to walk with the Lord as He is healing our, our hurts, our lack of trust, and it's, a, it's just been a privilege to walk through it with other women, and especially as, as they start getting connected with each other so they can send out texts and, and, and get support, especially on those days when, um, when you're being triggered and mm. you just need somebody to talk to. So it's not just a once-a-week thing. People in the small group end up getting in touch with each other by text to encourage each other or uh, phone each other. Absolutely. That's the goal is we need each other. Often daily. <laughs> daily. <laughs> Might be wow. several times a day. <laughs> well, um, Marla, you had said in our last session that you had started noticing in Steve that his 
his demeanor was changing. He's kind of, we've known him a long time. He was, he's always sort of a happy-go-lucky, easy-going guy. And you said that he was getting sort of sharp-edged and grumpy. And so you were seeing changes that were causing you to question uh, what was going on in his life. Uh, So what what other what kinds of things do other women see in their husbands that cause them to question what's happening with them? I think it's pretty similar. Um, what I hear often in women is um, I knew something was wrong, that I just had this gut that just something wasn't mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear a lot uh, that they're very irritable, angry, very angry, um, mean. Very verbally abusive. I hear that mm-hmm. consistently. Um, There's a lot of blame that guys uh, put on the wife. I mean, I, I read this book a long time ago called People of the Lie by Scott Peck. And what happens, I see many times in this uh, arrangement, is the very thing that the husband is accusing the wife of is what he's doing. And it's like he transfers that on her and is so critical of her. And then the wife many times is going, well, maybe that is true. Maybe it is me. And then they just feel terrible about the whole thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, many women actually become codependent mm. and their joy, um, become their husbands literally become their gods. Mm-hmm. And their joy is based on if their husband's in a good place or a bad place or how he treats them. It's, it's very dysfunctional. Mm. And I, th- I think what's um, interesting in the Christian circles is many times as women, we want to be submissive. We want to be, you know, lay our lives down. We read these scriptures. Um, love is patient. It hardly even notices when another does it wrong. And there's this tendency to excuse their behavior mm. under the guise of um, of you know, being submissive. Trying to be the, do do the right thing as a Christian woman and, and be loving and right. accepting. And and that's one of the things that I feel like our group helps the women to, to see that love, love is honest. Mm. Yeah. Love sets boundaries. Except what happens mm. is sometimes honesty sometimes hurts. Mm. Mm. And the thing that I find in the Christian community, especially counseling marriages, is... I think that to do this, I just had somebody say this the other day, I didn't want to bring up my past and all the sin that went on there because I didn't want to hurt her. Mm-hmm. But the truth was he didn't want to deal with it himself. Uh-huh. Right. And, and, and I said, wait a minute, we're, you know, we're talking about premarital counseling. I'm going, she's laid out her life and how dysfunctional her life was before she met you. And now you're not willing to tell her what's going on in you. It's pretty uneven field there. And I think that's why women end up getting frustrated well, with, I, their, with I, their men. I wanted to ask Marla a question. Um, years, years and years ago, now we're talking more than 40 years ago, when we were still Are we that young old? and athletic, <laughs> um, we had friends yes, uh, <laughs> who were both, uh, she was very beautiful, he was very handsome, they had a couple of kids. Um, but she knew that her husband had an issue with uh, seeking out prostitutes. And she never, she had told me, 
ever allowed her husband to see what she looked like when she first woke up in the morning. Mm. Mm. She would jump out of bed, go into the bathroom, do her hair, put on her makeup, put on a cute little sexy outfit so that he would be attracted to her. Uh, we, ha- we have another friend who, when she found out that her husband had sexual addiction issues, she was so angry She never allowed him in her bedroom again. She never allowed him to touch her again. She just completely cut him off and years later is still Mm. (laughs) making him pay. And so my question to you is, when you realize that your husband had a problem with sexual addiction, how did it affect you and your relationship? Mm, That's a great question. You know, I am... um, I am have a very unique story, and to backtrack, when we were first married 31 years ago, I had been bulimic for a couple of years, even before we were married, which you guys were our premarital counselors, <laughs> so <clears throat> you remember this story, but... I, I don't remember anything you said, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really glad you're here now. And we're still married, <laughs> yeah. so you did a lot right. At least I got one right. <laughs> Um, But anyway, so I thought, you know, getting married would take it away, and and it didn't. It proved to actually increase, the pressure increased. And what's interesting is that's the same thing with guys hooked on pornography. Absolutely. You thought being married, I'd be fulfilled, and then I wouldn't have an eating disorder. I think men think, once I get married, I'll have all the sex I want, and at any time I want, which is a total lie. It's one of Satan's favorite lies. Um, But through that, it set a framework for us that I went through um, biblical counseling with Victorious Christian Living International that truly changed my life, that I I was ready for Ramuda Ranch, and this was kind of a last call. And what Um, is Ramuda Ranch, for those who didn't know what that is? That is a check-in facility for eating disorders, anorexia, And at the time, it was one of the premier ones, and maybe still is. So in that process, Steve and I kind of set a foundation where I was completely honest with him. If I had binged that day, I would tell him. Um, he, he helped me walk through body image issues. I shared with him the struggles and the lies. I was dealing with my uh, desire for perfection and control and things I had never seen that were behind the eating disorder. So it took it took a solid year of <laughs> I, God had a lot of work to do, and um, through that, looking back in hindsight, God really prepared me for when I when He shared with me what He was struggling with. I knew exactly um, that this was not about me; that He um, had not shared with me because of the shame. And I understood that. I knew it, it wasn't a trust issue. I knew that um, he wa- God was dealing with him. Mm. And in the process, one of the sweetest things I am so grateful to the Lord is he gave me a promise. And he said, I am going to use him to teach other men. Mm. And I, I clung to that as God, as Steve was breaking and and kept trying to do it himself and kept trying to do it himself and I can do this and and in the middle of that I had that hope that God is going to use this to bring him to his knees through that he's going to minister to other men 
And, and we have Revive 40 today. Wow. <laughs> and in Corinthians, it says, you're going to comfort others with the comfort whereby you've been comforted. So many times the brokenness in our lives is what God actually uses. At the time, we feel shame, guilt, pain, sorrow, mm-hmm. and like God will never use us again. And yet the very thing that puts us in the tank is what God wants to use to comfort others because they feel like, oh, if you've been through it and you've gotten through it, maybe I can too. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing that strikes me about your story, Marla, is that God had really prepared you uniquely with an understanding of your own weaknesses and susceptibilities to addictive behavior. And you you understood some of those underlying root causes in in Steve's life. But do you think that your situation or your response to yeah, him is that was the unusual? typical situation like, or is what that? what kind of similarities do you see as universal among the wives of men who are mm. dealing with sexual addiction? Mm. I am very unique. And most <laughs> I <women> agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I the typical even... <laughs> would be what? Uh, what? What do you see as you deal with the women? They're crushed. Mm. They are crushed. I hear I feel I feel like dirt. I I don't know if I can ever trust him again. And oftentimes, one of the things that I am grateful for is Steve had one disclosure, and um, he immediately got help uh, when that point came, and um, and he didn't have another slip, so there weren't reoccurring uh, yeah, and that's unusual, too, I yes. think, from my counseling. Anyway. Right, right. So m- many times, you know, the women ha- get a disclosure and they start building trust. And then six months later, they get another disclosure. Oh, you know, I did slip. I I was. Or even they tell a part of the story yeah. that they didn't tell the first time. So and beautiful. then she's going, why didn't you tell me that? Yeah. I, I asked you, did you tell me everything? And you said, yes. And then he says, yeah, but I didn't want to do this because that was going to really crush you. Right. And she's going, are you kidding me? You're yeah. crushing me again. <laughs> I hear that all the time. That, yeah. that, that was part of my, my issue as well is that fear of hurting her. You know, I can get through this and it can just all go away. Um, but that wasn't the case. Mm. I had to come clean. And uh, the night of my confession to her and, and another man um, was so freeing. Mm. It was radically changed. I just need to have somebody that I could talk to about it. But then the women say, well, he's free. You know, he right. feels about great. And I, I got, get all the garbage yeah. still. And I just, I just want to point out that um, that is something that that is really difficult for the women to start trusting. But I've watched God come in and help them trust begin to trust the Lord, that I can't hand, I, I can't control my husband. I don't know what's going to happen. But whatever happens, I'm going to be okay because you're taking care of me, Lord. And I think that is the foundation of, of what begins to grow in their relationship with the Lord and their recovery. I would, I would like to add one last thing there is that um, Marla's uh, group I think one of the main things they provide is they're not just helping the women heal, but they're helping the women understand how they can 
help their husband's recovery or hinder mm. uh, the recovery process. And uh, I think that's probably one of the key things that also comes out of the group as well as their healing and, yeah. and their hurts. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking with Stephen Marler Wagner and talking specifically about the women's issues with the men who have issues with, with addiction and pornography. But in our day and age, now the women are starting to get into it because our culture has warped sexuality so much that now women are getting into things that only men used to get into. And that's a whole nother um, topic and a, another podcast. But they have a ministry called Revive 40, R-E-V-I-V-E, the, the number 40, and dot com. And if you want to get uh, either devotions or some written material. Uh, if you want to know where their groups are here in Phoenix right now and pray for them, that um, the leaders will grow so that they can be in other parts of the uh, country and eventually other parts of the world. And uh, we've been talking about how it's not just the outward issue of pornography or addiction that we're you know, that's, the, that's what you see on the outside, but really it's men and women who are struggling and being strangled, whether it's by the enemy, their flesh, or the world system that's squeezing it, uh, them into its mold, regardless of what it is, we need help. First of all, we need to be able to recognize we need help. The next thing is we need to confess to somebody, and that's what the church is supposed to be about, is confessing our sin one to another that we might be healed so that the truth of God's Word sets us free in our very daily living experience. So this is Alan. And Polly. And we're walking our talk, and we hope you do too. And we'd like to take one more session with these guys because there's a lot here. There are things about trust. There are things about uh, other things that need to be talked about. So we'll see you next time. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org. presence has been so sweet today. That's really why we gather here every week. Because there has been a fresh oasis of the river of God by your grace that has been poured out. Not one of us wants to stay where we're at though. We want so much more. We want life transforming glory. holding on to you, Lord, for the new thing. His glory.
sing it over the body of Christ. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary PHX in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Jesus in the boat, based on Mark 4, 35 through 41. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. I want you to open your Bibles. We are continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark, and we're in Mark chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you the portion, and then I'm going to ask you a question. So we're like at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I'm going to read this as soon as you get there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, really right at the beginning of our New Testament. Chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. 
and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Then he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, saying, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Whoa, what a storm. My question is, have you ever been seasick? Raise your hand. Have you ever been seasick? Almost all of us. We've experienced that one time or another. Well, we're going on a cruise a few years ago. And I did not want to be seasick, because I've heard those stories about people who, you know, they wanted their one big vacation, and they were sick the whole time. I don't want to be. So I'm investigating. What can you do? Well, some people get the patch behind their ears. Some of people take Dramamine. But they all told me, you know, it made us drowsy. We were saying, I thought, great, I don't want to. Others said, now wait, we wore wristbands. Yeah, you can get them at the drugstore and just pick them up, and, and they're elastic, and you just, there's a little button thing that will press on a point in your wrists, and if you wear those, you'll be okay. Well, you know how people always have their weird things that work. <laughs> but I thought, you know, I'll try. Brought my Dramamine with me. So I've got the wristbands on, and uh, I thought, actually, I better... Buy three or four pair, one for my ankles, one for my wrist, one for my neck, you know, just make sure it's all covered. And so I'm on the ship, and I'm not sick, you guys, not sick at all. I thought, well, this is coincidence. So I took them off for about 15 minutes, and I started feeling woozy. I'm not kidding you. Put them back on. Everything was perfect. Looks a little doofy on that night on the cruise where it's the banquet night, and you're all dressed up, and you're wearing these funky wristbands with your nice watch, and it was kind of weird. But I was okay. But I'm telling you, I don't think there's any wristband big enough for these disciples during that storm. What do you guys think? I don't think there's any Dramamine that would have worked in that storm. This was a terrible thing. Now, it says, on that day, when evening had come, on that day. That day, let's just look, remember what it was. That day was a crazy day. On that day, Jesus was in Capernaum in Simon Peter's house. And he had been teaching, and there was a demon-possessed guy, crazy guy. Jesus cast a demon out of this man. The religious leaders were there, and they said, well, the only reason he can do that is because he's in cahoots with the devil. So, remember, though, Jesus said, you know, how can Satan cast out Satan, right? And he warned them about committing the impardonable sin That is ultimately rejecting him and dying in that condition. Well, about that time, Jesus gets word this crowd is crazy, so people couldn't get to him, but a message was sent through the crowd to to where he was in the house, and it says, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters are outside, and they want you to come out and talk to them. And Jesus then said, well, who are my mother, my brother and sisters, but you who believe in me? 
But the Bible says parenthetically that they were out there because they wanted to take him away because they thought he was crazy. So, I mean, come on, your own family doesn't believe in you. That's pretty sad. So then from that point, Jesus left Peter's house and he went along the lake for a little ways and there on the seashore he started teaching, but the crowds were so big and they kept wanting to hear him that they stepped closer and closer so that finally he was stepping into the water. So he asked for a boat and he got into the boat and he taught from the boat and the crowd could still gather and he wouldn't be pushed you know, back into the lake. So during that time, he was teaching them about the parables, and he gave these stories that illustrated truth. So now it's evening. This has been a crazy day, a big day for Jesus. And so he says, let's get in the boat, and he's in the boat. He says to his disciples, get in the boat, and now let's go to the other side of the lake. Crazy time. Now let's read on. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, to understand this, I have to tell you something about the Sea of Galilee. First of all, it's not really a sea, it's a lake. It's about 11 miles long, 8 miles wide. It's 600 feet below sea level. But on Each side, there's some interesting geographical things happening. It is one of the most unstable bodies of water in the world. A storm can whip up in 10, 15 minutes. It would be like a hurricane on this little body of water. But if you're out there, you're in danger. You've got the Golan Heights on the east side of the lake soaring up 2,000 feet on that side. To the north, you've got Mount Hermon, 9,700 feet high, always got snow on it, and uh, its icy waters are coming down into the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is freezing. You don't go to the sea, oh, let's go for a swim. Nobody swims. It's freezing. So then uh, on the other side, you've got the Mediterranean, and you've got uh, warm air coming in from the Mediterranean, and you've got desert air coming in. So anyway... There are parts of it that are just like a natural funnel. So all of this weather with these geographical formations, they're all causing big weather to happen. There'll be a test on all of that, okay? It's like, who cares, right? I study. You know what? I remember this. 9,700, 600, So here are the disciples on the lake, and one of these storms starts. It's night. Oh, I got a story. You want to hear my galley story? Okay, so this was the last year, a year and a half ago when we were in Israel. We were on the Sea of Galilee. And when you go to Israel, you always spend a couple of days around the Sea of Galilee, go to different places where Jesus ministered. Most of his ministry that we have recorded in the New Testament happened around the Sea of Galilee. So here we are around the Sea of Galilee showing people stuff. And then you always do a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. That's about an hour and a half. You start out on the east side, and you go to the west side usually. And you stop in the middle of the lake, and you worship, and I usually teach, and then everybody just spends some time there on the lake contemplating. There's seagulls that come, and we throw bread out to them. and you know, It's a fun time. Everybody gets their picture. So 
last time, I was in the boat and I was looking north toward where the northern shore where Capernaum would be. And when it's not hazy, you can see that usually. And instead, I saw this silver line way out there. I thought, what is that? I've never seen a silver line. And I just kept watching it, and it seemed like the silver line was coming closer. And we did our worship thing, and I finished teaching. I looked, and it was even closer. And by now, the waters went from being very placid to, you know, they were beginning to rock. The boat started rocking more and then more, and there was some waves splashing. And about that time, the, it was, I could see that was a, a wave coming toward us. And I thought, oh, well, and the captain at that time said, we need to get out of here. We need to get to shore. So the boat started Come on, everybody, paddle. Let's get this thing going. And before, you know, it was a little bit before we got sure. Yep, the wave hit. And, it was, and I thought, can you imagine what it would be like to be on that lake during a real storm? Oh, but I got a second story. You want to hear it? Another story. This one's really cool. So we're on the lake, and this time we're going out, and it is choppy, and there's, this is rainy and windy. And instead of the boat being open and you can see out, they have uh, the flaps down, and you can see through the, the plexiglass or the, through the plastic, but it's cold. And the boat is being tossed around. So I'm trying to teach, and I'm teaching this story. And so I'm trying to talk loud so people can hear. And I come to the place, and Jesus said, Peace, be still. I said it, you always say it dramatically on the boat, you know. And Jesus said, peace, be still. I'm not kidding. Immediately, the wind stopped, the rain stopped, and the ocean became placid. It was like we were all like, my kids are saying, we better do what dad says from now on. It was perfect. It's like, I'm so glad my kids are here. You know, this is one of those moments. Dad rock. Dad might know, right? So the lake can be a very dangerous place. So what is happening is one of these storms is kicked up, it's night, it's dark, they can't see anything, they, can't really, they can hardly see one another, and their faces are numb with the water hitting them in the face, the wind, the waves, the boat is beginning to fill up, they're trying to bail, I'm sure they're looking for one another, Peter, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. James, you're doing it? Yeah, I'm okay. How about Matthew, are you? Now, Matthew always had a desk job, right? Like, I'm not a water person. And so he's like, well, I'm here, but what are we doing here? This is a bad idea, you know, Matthew. So there's all this, are you all right? Everybody's here, I'm here. Where's Jesus? Jesus, you Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where's Jesus? We lost the Lord. Did he fall over? What happened to him? I don't know. The last time I saw him was, he's here. He's there. He's asleep. He's asleep because you know the water's coming up in the boat. He's asleep. We'll wake him up. So they woke him up. And you see what happened. Verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Lord, what's the matter? Jesus is sleeping. I think they're annoyed. That's only one thing that's happening. Only one thing is they're annoyed. And I have to point this out, that sometimes we get annoyed at the Lord because he's not as worried about things as we are. Don't you think? 
Like, Lord, don't you see how bad this is? Lord's going, uh, no. Don't you see how out of control this is? Uh, no. I've never seen anything out of control, right? And so the Lord is always more calm than we might be when it comes to things. And that can be annoying. Second thing is, it didn't seem like Jesus heard them. You've had times when you've called on the Lord and it doesn't seem like he's hearing you. It doesn't seem like, but listen, where is he? Where's Jesus? In the boat. He's in the boat with them in the storm. Now I want you to see, and if you haven't already put two and two together, this is a real analogy of the Christian life. We come to Jesus, and when we are saved, we get in the boat with Jesus. We're there with Jesus in the boat, and then we do what the Lord says, and in this case, the word of the Lord directed them. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the other side. By the way, it should have only taken two hours. I don't know how long they've been struggling there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Something to realize here. You would think that if you are following the word of the Lord, that if you're doing what Jesus tells you to do, that if you're being obedient, that you would be blessed. In fact, how many times have we heard the righteous person is blessed? The Psalms talk about blessed is the one who does this. If you do the right thing, we say, look, God's going to bless you if you do that. Now, I believe that, but that does not mean immunity from tough stuff. Are you agreed? Yeah. I mean, some teach, you know, well, if you just do this and you're never going to have any problems, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, you know, that kind of stuff. That is a bunch of, the Greek is bunk, okay? <laughs> That's the Greek word for that. That's not true. We all face storms. We're going to face, we are children of God, but we're still going to face distress, discouragement, trials, trouble, tribulation, temptation, disease, accidents. We're all going to face those things because we don't live in heaven yet, gang. This is not heaven if you haven't noticed. This is the closest you'll come to hell, though. You're never going to go to hell. But living in this earth, we say, you know, that was hell. This is the closest you'll get to hell. This is nothing compared to the real deal. You're not promised immunity. We aren't. Bad things happen to great people. But the blessing is Jesus is in the boat when we get in the storm. You're not in the boat alone. In fact, Jesus has a purpose. Jesus gave a clear direction. His clear direction was, let's get in the boat and go across to the other side. Very clear. In fact, he was urgent. The Greek makes it a very urgent command. It's like, we need to right now get over to the other side. Very, he's not saying, well, take your time. He's saying, we need to go now. So even if you're in God's plan, they're in the plan of God. They're doing the will of the Lord. They're heeding the voice of God, even though you can have problems. Think about the wise man and the foolish man that Jesus talked about. The wise man built his house upon the what? Rock. Foolish man built his house on the sand. But what came to both of them? A what? Storm. And the storm hit. And the foolish man's house crumbled because it was built on sand. But the wise man's house stood because it was built on the rock. I just want you to know, even wise ones, those who love God, the storm still hits. But it's a storm that tests things, for sure. You remember, some of you in college, for sure in college, you listen to lectures, you read the textbooks, 
But then often they'll send you to a lab session, right? So there's the learning, then there's the testing. There's, you know, the reasoning, then there's the reality, and you have to go apply what you've heard. This is the case with disciples right now. Jesus had been teaching them. In fact, they just come out of this teaching moment with these parables about the kingdom of God. And now they've learned this, and now Jesus says, okay, let's make it practical. Let's talk about trust. Trust is involved here because in verse 40, Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no what? Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? They had spent all the time with Jesus, but they weren't able to apply that time with Jesus to their personal experience. Now, it's easy for me to say 2,000 years later, standing on the shore, right? I don't mean it in any derogatory way for them because I would have been responding worse than they, I'm sure. But what we have to understand is they lived with Jesus they talked, they ate, they spent their time all with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, don't you know me? Don't you know me? I'm in the boat with you. Jesus said, go across, not go under, right? This boat's not going down as long as I'm in it. In verse 38, I see something that's important to point out. In all the other gospels that record this, it says that when they woke Jesus up, They said, teacher, don't you know that we're perishing? Or teacher, we are perishing. Only Mark adds, they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Hey, being in the storms sometimes leads us to ask the real important questions, questions we wouldn't ask before. In this case, it was, God, don't you care? Tough times may raise that question in your life. God, don't you care about me anymore? It seems like we were just like this. And now I'm in the storm and I'm not hearing you. It seems like you're not concerned. It seems like you're asleep. You don't hear my cries. Don't you care? I want you to hear this. If you leave with anything, you leave with this. It's that the Lord always cares for you. When you go through something hard, it doesn't mean God doesn't care for you. The Bible says, cast all your anxiety on the Lord, for he cares for you. You're his child. He always cares for you. There's nothing that could separate you from the the love of God. Height, depth, length, anything that's created in this world can never separate you from God's love. He delights in you. And even when he's quiet, he's in the boat with you. That's where faith comes in, you guys. That's where we look in the past and we say, well, God, you took care of me. Look at where I am. I'm still here. God's always been faithful. He's got me through all this other stuff in the past. And now Jesus says, okay, I want you to use that now, presently. Faith. You can have faith because you see what I did in the past. Faith always leads us to go down a road we really wouldn't want to go. Okay? That's faith. Faith takes us down a path we would never choose. Ooh, that's good. Write that down. Let me take notes. That's good. Faith 
will always take you down a road that you wouldn't choose. I mean, come on. If you were, you know, okay, God says, here, you can choose any of these things. One is camp by the shore, you know, make s'mores, you know, whatever, you know, or go out on a storm and, and think you're going to die. We'll never circle that option, will we? But the Lord says, no, I want you to go, and I want your faith to grow. Faith doesn't grow when you're doing what you know. Faith doesn't grow when you're experiencing what you've already done. Faith grows when you're stretched. It grows when you're in the dark and you don't know where you're going. Faith grows when you're out of control and you can only trust God. Are you in a faith moment now in your life? Is it like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I've never been down this kind of road before. Okay, then now you're walking by faith. And God doesn't disappoint people. What if I make a wrong step? That's faith. You trust God. He'll make you step right. He'll take care of you. Well, what if I, what if I, the what ifs are the language of faith, I guess. And the Lord's response to the what ifs are, do not be afraid. Just do not be afraid. And so your lack of fear is because you've made a choice. Well, I don't feel courageous. God doesn't say feel courageous. He says be courageous, right? He doesn't say feel like not being afraid. He says do not be afraid. And the antidote for fear is trusting the Lord. We trust the Lord because we know that he cares for us. Do you not care? Of course I care. I'm in the boat with you. See, Jesus knew the storm was going to happen. It's not like, oh, this is a surprise. He knew the storm was going to happen. And that's why he knew he needed to be in the boat with his disciples. And when they saw who Jesus was, they didn't fear the storm. They said, if they had any fear, it was like, who is this? Jesus was beginning to reveal his divine nature to them. I want you to look at uh, Colossians. Hold your place here, but go to Colossians chapter 1. You go to the right, and you go through like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then you come to Colossians. Look at chapter 1. When you get there, we're going to look in chapter 1 at verse 16. By calming the sea, Jesus shows his deity. Colossians 1, verse 16. There's a theological lesson in the incident we just read. Verse 16. For by him, that is through Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Trick question. Who created the world Jesus. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Jesus is the one who said, let there be light. Actually, there was no let there. It, the Hebrew says that God said, light be. And here he says, peace, be still. And it, everything stops. Wouldn't that be cool if you could say to your kids, be quiet. It just shows you we're not God. The winds and the waves obey him. 
He rebukes them with his words. And it says he rebuked the winds and the wave. Go, if you want to go back to, to Mark 4. He rebuked the winds and the wave. The word rebuke is the same word that is used when he rebuked the unclean spirit. He rebuked the demon. It's the same word. And I'll tell you more about why that word is used next week. Jesus commanded and nature obeyed. Your Lord, the one who rules the storms, is the one who can speak a world into existence and can speak and nature complies to whatever he says. Now I want you to look at Psalm 89, 8 and 9. Psalm 89, 8 and 9, which would be to the left, kind of middle-ish in your Bible. Psalm 89. Now, the Psalms were the hymnal, the worship songs of ancient Israel. And the disciples would have known them Most of them by heart. So when this happened, you say, why were they afraid? And they said, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? I believe this is happening in their brain. I think they're making the connection. Oh, really? What do you think? Really? Okay. Look at verses 8 and 9. Oh, by the way, when you see L-O-R-D capitalized, that means it's the sacred name in Hebrew, which we think is pronounced Yahweh. Okay? So... O Yahweh, God of hosts or armies, O Yahweh, God of armies, who is mighty as you are, O Yahweh, with your faithfulness all around you. Verse 9, you rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise, you what? Still them. Yes! Why Did that incident happen on the lake? Well, I think one of the reasons why is to show Jesus' deity. He is Psalm 89, 8 and 9. He is Yahweh of hosts, isn't he? Because he speaks to the raging waves, and he says, be still, and everything happened. So if I were you, I would write Psalm 89, 8 and 9 in the margin of my Bible there in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is God. He's in the boat with you. I can't think of any other life preserver I'd rather have than Jesus in the boat with me. So my brothers, my sisters, my prayer for you is this. In the middle of your storm right now, realize you're not in trouble. I don't think you're a Jonah and you're in a storm because you're disobeying God. I think for most of you, the storm that you may be in right now is a result of you're just following Jesus. He has a purpose Ride through it in faith. If he seems quiet, he's in the boat with you. If he doesn't seem to respond like you feel, he's in the boat with you. Don't worry, he's there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And for the rest of us, realize that you're either coming out of a storm or you're going to be going into a storm. That's life. Don't forget this incident in Jesus' life, okay? Remember it. Let's pray. We are grateful, Lord, that we have been given such strong encouragement and that we see a picture of our Lord Jesus that's fascinating, that captures us and strengthens our faith. We see him in his power. We see him in his absolute control over all circumstances. And we would say right now, Father, we trust you 
in our storm. We trust your work, and we know you're in the boat with us. Give us grace. Just continue to trust in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. coordinator of Moms in Prayer International Ministry in Arizona. What if you could change the world 
not just for today, but for many generations to come. At Moms in Prayer International, we believe that a mom can be the single greatest force for good in the lives of our children and their generation. We believe that nations are changed forever when moms gather together to pray to our mighty God who can change a human's heart. Moms can make the difference for the next generation as they reach out to God in prayer. Moms just like you. Moms in Prayer International impacts children and schools worldwide for Christ by gathering mothers to pray. And our vision is that every school in the world will be covered with prayer. We would like to personally invite you to join us for this amazing two-day international Moms in Prayer conference, Awaken Hope, to be held this October 11th and 12th at North Coast Calvary Chapel, located at 1330 Poinsettia Lane in Carlsbad, California. You will experience worship that awakens, biblical messages that empower, and prayer that will shape the next generation through the power of overflowing hope. Registration is $60 for an individual and $55 per person for a group of four. It includes workshops, main sessions, Saturday lunch, and event materials. To register, please go to momsinprayer.org-events. For questions, please email me at prayforyourkids at gmail.com or call at 602-561-2778-8999. I really hope to see you there. Coming up next is It's Time to Pray the Bible. Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I'm the host of this program. It's time to pray the Bible. Today's scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 16, which says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, 
not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Let's magnify the powerful name of Jesus together. O Lord, your loving kindness is limitless, reaching higher than the highest heavens. Your great faithfulness is infinite, stretching over the whole earth. Your righteousness is unmovable, just like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are as full of wisdom as the oceans are full of water. How precious is your tender care and kindness, O God! As we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, we will remain secure and rest in the shadow of your wings under your power that no enemy can withstand. You are our refuge and mighty fortress in whom we trust with great confidence. O oh God, how extravagant is your unfailing love! To know you is to experience a flowing fountain drinking in your abundant life. Your light has opened our eyes and awakened our souls. Jesus, thank you for showing us how to live a life of true worship and purity through your perfect example of authentic humility and radical obedience. We praise and honor your powerful name. The authority of your beautiful name causes every knee to bow in reverence. Jesus, you are Emmanuel, who is always with us to the very end of the age. You are the light of the world. As we follow you, we will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You are the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus, you are the bread of life that came down from heaven. Thank you for your sacrifice for the life of the world and blessing us with a gift of eternal life. You are the great physician who heals our bodies and restores our souls. We praise you because no disease is beyond your healing power. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are forever grateful that there is no sin beyond your saving grace. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords who lives and reigns forever. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Jesus, you are the Christ who is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
You are the eternal word. You existed in the beginning with God, and everything was created through you. The revelation light of your word makes our spirits shine radiantly. You are the cornerstone. Thank you for blessing us to be living stones that you are using to build a spiritual house, your dwelling place on the earth. You are the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered death and was resurrected as the ultimate victor. We praise you for your mighty power and supreme victory. Jesus, you are the bright morning star. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You are the author of all life. Fill us with divine expectation and overflowing hope to long and eagerly wait for your coming and the new day when your kingdom will be fully established. Jesus, everything and everyone will one day submit to your powerful name. In the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm, and every tongue will confess that you are the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Fill us with your abundant grace to continue to work out our salvation with great fear and trembling in your holy presence. For it is you who will continually revitalize us. And implant within us the holy passion to do what pleases you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, so we can live lives of ecstatic joy and radical thanksgiving, doing all things without complaining or division among ourselves. So we will live as blameless, mature, and pure children of God. As your shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, and we will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel to the nations. In your powerful name, we pray. Amen.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week. <laughs>